Welcome to Noah Kagan Presents. What up, everyone? It's your boy, Bike Pedal, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. Today's guest, you've probably heard his songs before. One of them is called Cooler Than Me. Another one's called I Took a Pill in Ibiza. And his name is Mike Posner. And this is a buddy of mine who I've known for about a year. And we finally got a chance during South by Southwest to sit down and have a conversation. And I always love my episodes where I think about the things that people say months later. And there was just so many things that we talked about, about being a friend or being a fan or what it's actually like to be famous. You know, that treadmill where like you're super famous and then it kind of starts fading away. And then how do you actually deal with that? And, and what does it take to actually create a hit song? Uh, Mike is super introspective, really, really smart, great to talk to. I love chatting with him, super rooting for the dude. Uh, He's also got a new dope poetry book out. Uh, I bought it. It's called Balloons and Teardrops. So check that out. And he's got a new album that I've actually had on repeat uh, called Mansions, M-A-N-S-I-O-N-Z. That's what I guess what the hipsters do. Uh, This guy's just done so much in his career. He's helped make songs for Bieber and Maroon 5 and all these other things. I really love this episode. Looking forward to you enjoying it. Have fun. Yeah, and they asked for a picture right then. And I was like, Duh. I wonder about that. Doesn't that get tiring? Like, how do you? Yeah, just I mean, I think people people just get tired in life. I think I do at least. I get ti- I get tired at some point in every single day. What do you mean? This is where like someone comes up to you and you're just like, yo, I'm... just even just if I'm even in my house, not taking fans out of the equation. Yeah. Usually at like three or four, I get like a little tired. <laughs> so, yeah, the expectation to have someone be like on all the time. Or you might catch some famous person in their three o'clock moment or they're probably, you know, traveling. That was one thing I was so, wondering about, though. Like if people actually if people do see you out, like what do you prefer? Obviously, I feel like you're accessible. You feel accessible or like. I don't know what the right word is, but like, how do you want people to approach you or like hit you up? Or the best, the best way, the best fan interaction is when they someone walks up to you and says, "Hey, Mike, love your work," and walks away. Because it's not about them; it's about them giving love to you, and that feels good to get love. But usually, people want to get something from you to show off to their friends to look cool, which is a picture. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm guilty of that as well, of course. But when you really break down the picture, it's like I want this thing to put on my Instagram so I look cool. You know? Yeah. It's just not really that cool when you when you when you, when you uh, I guess dig into the whys of. I went to a Lady Gaga concert once with my. He was my merch guy at the time. So he was on, we were on tour and, um, you know, while we play, he would sell like our t-shirts and stuff. And he was tatted up, his arms covered in tats. And, um, a couple of people recognized me and they asked for pictures. I say, yeah. So, you know, it was like three to five people or something like that. And then, um, other people saw these people taking pictures with someone. They didn't know who it was. They just got FOMO. And so then a line starts, right? Now there's like 20 people. 
And I realized after the five people are done, person number six, they don't know who I am. So they're asking for pictures from Chris because he's got tattoos. So they, they, take, they take photos of Chris? Yeah. So then the next 15 people are just taking pictures of Chris. And he's sitting there loving it, you know? And, I, and then I just, I realized then it's, it's, it's just um, materialism in another form. You know, like I, someone else has something. I want it. You know, yeah. I don't care what it is. They got something I don't got. I need it. I was telling you, real embarrassing. I was telling Jared I was jealous. I was jealous of him becoming better friends with Marion last night. And I, <laughs> and I actually felt like I'm just bringing it up to you. It was, it was like helpful for me. And it's helpful for us to just like explore. Like, yo, I was a little jealous. You're like, and I think it was more, I just want to hang out with you more. Right. And I actually felt like calling that out. I was just like, Whew. it was a little, it's weird to say that. But, so. Yeah. yeah. Who did you, you said that you felt like that towards someone though? Or you've wanted that in the past? What? Where you wanted to take the photo or do something like that? I never asked for photos because I had a friend of mine who told me, you're either a friend or a fan, one or the other. Oh. And uh, so I never asked. But yeah, it's always cool to ha- like be looking at my <laughs> pictures like, oh, I got a picture with someone so I could put up right now. Yeah. You know? You're either a friend or a fan. I've never heard that before. Mm. I guess I, I was like, I, I just don't know who Mike Posner is. I mean, like, I've seen some videos and, like, we have some Neither host of friends. do I. What do you mean? It's a changing <laughs> answer. It's a moving target. That's what we were talking about yesterday, huh? Yeah. Well, well to, to begin, like, uh, I guess I was like, what did you, did you have a vision for all this? Like, I, I guess what I was wondering, and I've been thinking a lot of myself about vision. Like, like I want to be this place. I want to be this person. Or I want these things or I want to be this stuff. Like, wh- what was your vision when it all started? I guess as a, as a kid, you know, I started writing raps when I was like eight years old. I remember having these kind of delusions of grandeur. Little Bow Wow was popular at the time. I thought, oh, I'm going to be the white Little Bow Wow. Like, I'm going to be famous, like, next year, like, tomorrow, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That obviously never materialized, but I kept rapping and... I started making beats when I was 13, just on like my mom's computer. And uh, when I was a senior in high school, I made like a CD album. It's called Reflections of a Lost Teen and uh, sold out the trunk of my car. When I went, to co- I went to college at Duke University, I got there. And right before I went there, I met this guy, Big Sean. He didn't have the name yet, Big Sean. He was just still deciding his name. Was it just Sean? It was, he was either calling himself Sean the Don or Big Sean was one of the names. But he was like, he hadn't decided yet. <laughs> and so we became, I was basically a part of his entourage. I used to do beats for him, choruses for him. When he got a record deal with, with Kanye West and Island Def Jam, it all, it seemed a lot closer to me. Like, oh, these things that I had sort of abandoned hope. Did you? By that time. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to go to Duke. I'll, I'll work in finance, just be rich. Um, so, hold on. From 8 to 18, you were like, yo, I'm still going to do this rap dream. Yeah, I just like, I used to like battle kids. It was like my thing in high school. You yeah. Know? What was your, did you have a name at all or did you still go by your original name? There was a short while where I went by just Mike P. But then I, yeah, I, I decided very early on early teens that my music was not going to be 
created character. It was going to be reflect some truth from my life and therefore I should go by my real name. And so, yeah, I always just went by Mike Posner. Well, I suppose my real name is Michael Posner, but I kind of stuck, stuck to that. So the, like you thought an eight-year-old, I'm going to be this famous rapper, you're going to be the white Bow Wow. Yeah. What was Master P's kids called? Uh, Lil Romeo. <laughs> the white He never really made it out though. No, but then he played basketball. Was he pretty good, right? He was on USC. Yeah. And then so like you're like, did you get jealous of Sean? Oh yeah, I still do. I still do. And I fight it. I get jealous of friends all the time when you do well. Like the, it's like the vi- first emotion that comes up a lot of times. And then I, <laughs> I'm getting better at catching it earlier. Like, well, why are you upset that Sean has a hit song right now? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense at all. You know, if anything, he's your friend. Like, maybe he'll do a song with you that will help you. Like, it's only good for you. But um, I don't know what, I don't know what the, if that's nature or nurture. But I do feel a lot of times that that's the, that's the first thing that pops up. And I don't like it. But I'm getting, I guess I'm getting better at squashing it faster. How do you deal with it? Yeah, just kind of what I what I verbalized out loud just a second ago. Like this is all good. It makes no sense, you yeah. know. Uh, so it's kind of run through though the, that thought pattern in my head, you know. It reminds me of like it, it's almost like a, you know like the brother thing or like even last night someone would be like, oh, you got to meet Mike Posner. That's crazy. And I was really and I was super excited to meet you. And it was like cool to actually connect in person. But I was like jealous. You became better friends with Marion, right? It's like, I mean, because I was thinking for you, people must be like, oh, he's got all these, these views, right? He's got all these, like, attention and fans. And, uh, like, they have one fan, right? It's kind of like, I don't know, like, the proportion. Like, you, you do have all that stuff, too, right? And, like, you have a lot of these things. I guess I was like, it's interesting what we get, that we still get jealous no matter what scale or level of life. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. And that's, like, that, that fallacy that more is better. Yeah. And we were talking about Ramdas yesterday. He, he, there was a lecture I heard that he gave where he said, we in the West have an underlying sense of unworthiness. Like we just have that deep down. Meaning we feel like we have our lives, but we have to justify having our lives. So we have to, with our life, we must do something. We must accomplish something with our time and maybe that results in you know adjectives like determined brave um driven or maybe it's just delusional you know and maybe that is is wrong we that that we do deserve our lives and we don't really have to do anything maybe we're just supposed to hear and supposed to be here and enjoy them yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure I guess I'm, I'm, I want to come back to the vision thing, but like, I guess I'm curious where you're at now. Like, I feel like you're levitating and like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like right now. Yeah. Well, you're kind of in a chair. It looks like I'm, I'm fresh <laughs> off of meditation. Oh, are you? Yeah. Oh, I just feel like, uh, well, I don't know you, right? So I, I think that's an ignition. Like people don't know me. They make assumptions. They're like, oh, I've seen your video. I've seen this music. I've seen these things. Like I, we all do that, right? Yeah. yeah. Fill in the blanks. And so it's like getting to know you better. It's been interesting that you're like, I don't know, because you're not actually going through anything, because I don't know you before. So I guess I'm curious, like, where you're at now, just, like, in life. 
in life, yeah, it's a lot of changes, which I like. I sort of, um, I take a lot of pride in, in, in shedding skins like a, like a snake. Um, and that kind of troubles a lot of people around me, my fans included, my family and my friends included. Just go, why, you, like, I just saw you six months ago. You look totally different and you're acting totally. I say, of course, I learned more in that six months, you know. Quincy Jones used to say, um, if he saw an old friend and they told him, you haven't changed a bit, he took that as an insult. That's so good. And I feel exactly the same way. But uh, right now, I feel excited. I have a lot of projects coming out this year. Uh, just yesterday, put out a book of poetry. I have a band uh, called Mansions that I'm in. We put an album out on the 24th of March. Um, I don't know if this will be out by then, but uh, maybe. <laughs> and then um, next Mike Posner album will come out in the summer. Meanwhile, I have the album after that written, and I'm working on that right now, producing it. And so I'll be recording that at the same time. I have a book of live poetry that I'm putting out, or an album of live poetry that I'm putting out, rather. Because when I do shows with my band, typically there's a, there's a space in there for me to do a kind of an impromptu poem. Yeah. We, we record them all, and I pick kind of the best, or my favorite, 10 or 11. So the album coming out probably in the fall. So this is a lot of stuff. I've had years where I put nothing out, and this is like a lot. You're in a creative phase? Or like, yeah. Like, like super yeah. inspired? Yeah. yeah. Like, I was wondering about that for you, because like, I went and looked, at, like, looked through all of your music videos and stuff like that, and it's interesting, because some of your songs, there's like, I guess I, I see it as like the real Mike Posner. I don't know. What, I mean, you only know that. But it was like, Mike, where you're doing acoustic, and you're talking about being a good person, and you have like positive messages, which I love. And I feel like, it's other people that expect to do this like dance beat EDM Mike Posner, right? And and that's like where the Ibiza song is like 800 million views, but the original song is like 10 million views. Yeah. And I was just wondering how you process that and like how do you deal with creating what you really want versus creating what like others expect of you or what others want Mike to be? Sure. Well, my job as an artist is to not care about the second thing, right? I, I hear things in my head. So it's similar, I was telling people, it's similar to a song popping in your head. You ever have a song get in your head? Yeah. So I have that, but sometimes this is a song I've never heard before. And so I hear it sometimes just the melody or sometimes I hear it kind of finished. And my job is just to get it recorded as close to that as possible. That's how I evaluate how well I've done my job as far as recording and producing, being a, a writer and a producer. That's the gig. That's it. So I just, I do the, do the albums like that and I, f I finish them. And then you're right. I have in, in my career, uh, Donald Trump air quotes. <laughs> Is it weird to say the word career? Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like. In my career, uh, I've had two songs um, that I sang. I've had some other songs I've written for other people. But songs that I've sang, there's been two that have become really popular. And both of them were remixes, which means that I, I did the thing where I put it down how I heard it in my head. And then someone else 
another artist took took what I made, the acapella, the vocal track, and made new music around it. And basically made a new song, a new piece. And then these versions become really popular. I don't know why, you know, they're more popular than the original thing I make, but they are. People ask, does that upset you? You know, is that, do you feel like um, your, I guess your original work is not validated? I'm and the answer, yeah. yeah, the answer is, is no. You know, it, like you said, the original only has 10 million, but the, if the remix didn't exist and become really popular, the original probably only have like two million or, or one. So <laughs> um, there's that. And then number two is I remixed a lot of other people's songs in my career. And I'm a hip hop kid. So I believe in that ethos, the right that we have in this country to take someone's work and make something else out of it, right? Uh, I think is a beautiful thing. So like, you know, Andy Warhol taking the Campbell soup and making his piece out of it. That's kind of what's going on. And I've been Campbell soup and I've been Andy Warhol on that side of the equation. Uh, and so it's all good. You know, I've remixed Adele, I've remixed Coldplay, I remix Electric Light Orchestra, Beyonce. So when someone wants to remix my song, I always say, yeah. And I put the vocal tracks online just for free for producers all over the world you can just make stuff out of it so it's more I, i'm just understanding so it's more just like it's part of the ethos it's just like that's part of the like the, it's like nature right like the trees are gonna grow and yeah well leaves. some people are, are more um precious with their stuff you know like uh the beatles for example they don't clear samples so if i sample like eleanor rigby um and make a beat out of that I can't really put that on iTunes. They, they don't clear it historically. Maybe yeah. they make exceptions here and there. Um, but I, but I do. <laughs> you know, if you're the same with me, go ahead. And that's a hip hop thing. Like I grew up listening to hip hop, and so hip hop, you know, started by taking soul or disco records and finding the break, and basically looping it, and then you make a new track out of that. So, yeah, that, that's just in my vocabulary. And from what I understand about Shakespeare, not an expert at all, but <laughs> one of the things I've read that helped make Shakespeare Shakespeare was there was no copyright law whatsoever then. And there was, it wasn't frowned upon to sample, if you will, yeah. other writers. And he, so he had more colors on his palette than we do now. I think sometimes there's, there's like a good lesson about that just in life in general. Right. It's like, even if you don't create something, you can go take something else and improve it right in your own way. Yeah. And it becomes this new thing. Totally. You know, usually in studio sessions, it's a big like thwarter of creativity. It's people worried about they're copying something. It's like, don't worry about it. Just like, we'll worry about that later. Like, just make something. Just go for the creativity. Yeah. Just make something. How, oh, I want to get into the how to make a song. Cause I, I always like, whenever I start my show, I would have a rap name yeah so like rabbi can't lose oh. <laughs> or like a lot of times i just look around my apartment and i'm like bike pedal <laughs> yo what up though this is bike pedal you already know what it is i want to give a big shout out to schwinn all the homies <laughs> yeah uh spoke what up dog uh <laughs> spoke, what up, dog? i see you over there you spinning you spinning 
I'll see you. <laughs> well, well, let's go on that, and then we'll come back to the vision. Part. So, how do you make a song? Like, how does someone? And I'm sure you probably even asked a thousand times, but like, if you ask me to make an internet site or like a business, like that's just what I've been doing mm-hmm. for 15, 20 years now. Like that is my jam, and you've been doing music for twenty years, right? For you, it's just that's your normal, right? Yeah. That's your like. How does that? I've just always been like, what, what do they do? Do they have a beat first, and they get words? Do they have like. They have like an, an orange one day, and then they're like, "Man, oranges are good. I'm gonna make a rap song about oranges." <laughs> well, I'm sure as you as you become, as you get more into the intricacies, right? If someone asks you about the website when you first started, you probably had one answer, and maybe I'm projecting on you. Maybe it is different, but I presume that as you it became better and learned more, and now you're a master at that. There's probably a lot of answers, right? And maybe you have to answer that question with questions to who's asking you, like, what are you trying to get out of the site, etc. So for songwriting, I've written songs like every single type of way. Sometimes I have a beat first. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just hear the melody or sometimes I just have a lyric, you know, um, and then I try to attach a melody to that. Sometimes, yeah, I just write lyrics and I have a thing in my notebook or a thing in my Evernote of just lyrics. And then later there'll be a melody that I have that I, I mash the two together. So all different kind of, kind of ways. There's not like on Tuesdays is like make a music, make a song day. And then you no. sit down and have like a formula that you no. like just fill out. There, there was a time early in my life where I did a song a day for like maybe a year or two. Um, a song every day? When I was home. I wouldn't, when I, on tour, I wouldn't do it. But yeah, a song a day. And I used to go, yeah. Yeah. Just wake Take up, lot, yeah. wake up, go to the gym, come home, like do a song. And it was, it was push-ups, you know, but I don't work like that anymore. Now I just wait until a song feels like it needs to be written or a song shows up. And so um, it's not like going to the gym for me now where I have to do it every day. It's, it's in a different category. It's not like a, uh, a job. It's not like a job. Uh, Career. Yes. It's, it's, I wait for to feel inspired, you know. And That's got to be weird, though. I feel like that sounds hard to me. Right, like, cause it puts, it feels like to me at least, not you, but to me it feels like a lot of pressure. Cause then I'd be like, I'd be on the toilet, I'm like, you better get some inspiration here, right? Or I'd be like, yeah, or maybe I have to go do inspired things. Like, yeah, well, it's funny. I, you know, uh, for me, and I'm not saying it's the right answer, but what's happened is I've achieved, now achieved a level of productivity that I didn't really know was was possible for me i kind of thought like a tour and do an album every year or two and now like i kind of talked about earlier i'm like three albums ahead you know where i have mansions done i have my next album done and working on the one after that where i've never been that far ahead before (laughs) i'm just like waiting on the record labels in the the world to like kind of keep up you know it's yeah i guess it just just works for me i i have faith that that wherever the songs come from is uh i really in in all honesty i think it's always there it's just a matter of me connecting to it totally um so i don't think that thing's gonna like dry up anytime soon it's just a you know it's just a matter of me not doing that thing on the toilet in and 
letting it come out and it'll come it'll, pun intended yeah it's been, it's been com- yeah it's <laughs> been coming to me since i was eight you know so i'm not i'm not so worried about that well i guess I, with that i was wondering what you want sometimes because it's like i think there's wants from you from others i don't know why i feel that i really want to keep like asking about that maybe it's for my about myself mm-hmm. but like there's wants of more music in this way or more, more of these things versus the, the ones that you have yeah, well, that's that's kind of the gift and the gifts and the curse of success, right? It's, um, you become popular or successful. I should have done the air quotes for successful, right? Because that's other people's success. That the label they put on you. Yeah, so, so I will say popular, right? We become popular or known for, um, like most recently, one song I took a pill in Ibiza. It's a very popular song. Made a lot of other songs, and people will even come up to me. I say, I really like your song, and, uh, and then this like sort of my heart heart sort of breaks. Like you know how many songs I make like that I work so hard on. I like your song as if like I just made that one, like, like the whole fifteen years of every and, song. Yeah, and just like packed it in, like made that one and chilled the rest of the time. But um, <laughs> you know? so you waited fifteen years and you're like one song and then you were done. Yeah and it's drop the mic. Yeah, it's just really popular, you know. So, uh when you become known for something, I almost lost what the hell we were talking about, but brought it back. When you become known for something, then people yeah, they they assume that's you. And this is one car I say it's like one color. You know, that song's one color. I wrote it. That's how I was feeling that day three or four years ago. Um, but to assume like that's all of who I am is would be a mis- would be a mistake. You know, it's like if I listen to one of your podcasts and it's like, I fucking know everything about that guy now. I don't. You know, you're a whole human with who feels the uh, the spectrum of emotions and has all these experiences that I know nothing about. And so I do the same thing, you know, um, with other celebrities kind of like they become ideas or like, you know, you forget they're a real human. I caught myself doing that and it was right about seven years ago. I was watching the Detroit Pistons play the Cleveland Cavaliers when LeBron was on them the first time. And uh, they had the, the Cavaliers had this player named Drew Gooden. Drew Gooden had no hair except for a, kind of a square patch on the back of his head. And he was a very antagonistic player. He would get our players to foul him and would rile up the crowd. And I remember I was watching the game and I said, Quote, I fucking hate Drew Gooden. And right when I said it, I felt terrible. Because I had just I had just been experiencing like this first little taste of air quote success. And I and I realized that he was a real person. And before that, before I started to kind of be known for my music. I didn't realize all these, <laughs> they were just really ideas cute. to me. They were yeah. just like, nay, but they're real. And were, if I, if I heard someone say, I fucking hate Mike Posner, it would kind of hurt my feelings, you know? But these are things we say all the time about those on, those that have public personas. 
so that's weird kind of talking about. I always give, I always give kind of famous people the benefit of the doubt. And I was, there was, you know, there's worse problems in the world, right? Than like being rich and famous and having someone not like you, right? That you, know? <laughs> so you so, don't even know. Yeah, right. So I realized, you know, as I'm saying this, that meanwhile, there are people with not enough food in the world that are starving. And so, but these are kind of, um, they're first world problems in in the most like literal literal interpretation of that. Like they're actually first world problems. And in a lot of ways, because we um having enough food and and enough where really our problem most of our problems in our country now come from having too much, right? Like we eat too much now as opposed to not having enough food. Um they're problems that haven't really been explored yet. So that's kind of, I think that's what we're doing. That's what your podcast does. You know, it's like, okay, we have enough. We have enough shit, right? And there's a lot of us in this country. Not everyone in this country has that, but you and I do. And I presume your listeners do, you know, where, all right, I got enough money, you know, maybe I don't, I'm not a billionaire, but I'm not. I'm not struggling anymore. I have enough food. So why don't I feel all the way awesome (laughs) all the time? And so that, I think that's kind of what we're talking about. It's interesting because you could say like, you get a lot of the love and attention and awesome. Like if you told a lot of people on the street, like, yo, you're going to be in front of a bunch of people and they're all going to love you. Mm -hmm. Right. 50, I was, I saw a video of you on stage and there was like all these people watching. I got chills. I was like, man, he's on stage and you're just doing what you wanted to do since you were eight. And it's like, how could you not feel loved in that moment? But I'm guessing there's also times we talked about a little last night where you're like, I'll come off stage feeling lonelier than ever. Yeah, because when you're up really high, even your normal feels low. How do you deal with that day to day? Like when you go to Whole Foods or like when you're like, (laughs) you're like, fuck these organic vegetables. You know? Well, well, let me put it into context, right? Because we're talking about like fans. Like I walk down the street. And most people do not know who I am, right? So, like, we were at a bar yesterday. I walked back here to a hotel from the bar. And on that walk, I probably passed South by Southwest. So, I probably passed, like, a thousand people. Totally. And on that walk, two of them were like, oh, I know your music kind of picture. I'm like, cool. You know, it's it's not a, like, Justin Bieber scenario where I can't, yeah, where I can't. <laughs> Like, take a walk, you know? Um, but I'm not sure that was really your question. I guess... How do I deal with coming down? Yeah, like, I guess part of me was also wondering, like, it's kind of an addiction, I would say, to some extent, right? Like, you don't want to be irrelevant. Not you, but, like, if you had fame or you have attention, like, even me, I start getting people to listen to me and they're, like, watching, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I guess, how do you deal with, like, the wave of that, right? And also, like, your song was six years between the, the two, like, hit songs, right? Mm-hmm. Like... I was just, I guess I was curious mentally how you kept going and kept doing it. And like, how do you deal with the highs and the lows of like being on stage with 50,000 and then coming home and be like, all right, who are my real friends? Who are the people like that would really be there for me and really care about that I'm having a bad day or like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there was, I think maybe two, I'll split that in like two answers. So in the gap period between my two um, waves of popularity, 
it was really hard at first um, because my self-identity was wrapped up in being popular and being somewhat famous and having all this attention from the opposite sex. Um, and those things all s slowly were starting to wane. You know, each month I was less popular than I was. How do you notice that, by the way? Um, well, you notice, like, one, I was checking my social media like a freak, you know, because I was addicted to all that stuff. And sometimes I still do that. Do that. Um, like, oh, this many people comment or this many people. And you just see the numbers go down and down. You know, it's like, oh, maybe four people say hi to you in the street. Oh, then now maybe three do. These kind of things. You know, you just notice. And then, um, yeah, I guess like <laughs> sort of the things, things that people just like give to you. You know, when you're like, it's weird when you're popular. People like just give you free stuff. You know, and like, what was the best thing? Oh, give you clothes. Like, oh, I have a clothing company. Here, take all these clothes. I want you to wear them. Things like that. Or, oh, come eat at our restaurant for free because we want people to see you eating at the restaurant. Well, then those things start to go away, you know. So difficult at first because instead of me, sh you know, shimmying my way out of a snakeskin, it felt like someone else was ripping the snakeskin off me, right? It was, a, it was circumstances outside of me that were forcing me to shed the skin. So... Difficult at first, but and when I look back on it, the greatest thing that ever happened, right? Because then I had to figure out who am I without these things, Ooh, yeah. right? Because I'm still alive. I'm still a person. So I still exist, but I'm not popular. I'm not getting the attention from the opposite sex. I'm not somewhat famous or at least as famous as I was before. So who am I? And instead of... Uh, I. At, at some point, I embraced this, right? And so I, I took these feelings of getting less, and then I actually exacerbated them. So what I did was I had a house in the Hollywood Hills at the time, this million-dollar house. I had the Porsche. I had all these Jordans, and the, right? And I bought an old conversion van, Dodge 94, 93 conversion van. It has like... A bed in the back, like it has bench seats. The that kidnap van? Yeah, it looks very, <laughs> it looks very kind of rapey. Yeah, I don't uh, want to say the rape word, but yeah, like kidnap. Um, and so I bought this and I put some clothes that fit into it, put my guitar and some and my recording stuff that fit into it, and I donated the rest. Donated the rest and like the lease ended on the Porsche conveniently right then. And I actually had another car sold that car, and just drove away. I just drove away. So I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to turn the volume up on, on losing stuff and see if I could still be happy. And what I found was, yeah, I can. <laughs> had a great time. Like, would sort of would drive go? around. I went to Utah where I have a lot of friends, and I would... I would go sometimes stay in their houses, sometimes stay in my van. And one one had a buddy let me like set up my recording stuff in his house. So I would, you know, just I was outside a lot and I was making a lot of music, writing tons of songs. 
had a big beard, and I felt awesome. I felt awesome. And so, yeah, I, I realized, and, I, and then I came back. We started doing the Mansions album, and my partner in the, in the group, Blackberries in LA, so I drove back to, to do music. And um, then this sort of second wave of popularity has come, but it's with much less um, fear of losing it. And now I know if I lose it, I can still be okay. You know, that's yeah. not to say that I don't sometimes still refre refresh, you know, the Instagram to see how many people are commenting because I do fall into that and I'm not proud of it at all. But um, I know that if tomorrow no one wanted to come to my shows anymore and no one listened to my albums, that after a period of snakeskin shimmying, I would be okay. You know? Would you keep playing music? Yeah. Because I like, I like just playing music. Um, so I have a little break today from 2.30 to 3.30 and I'll just like play my guitar then. Because it's just fun to, it's just fun. Yeah. I was wondering about that. This is something like I'm you have the day scheduled to learn. Yeah. But a lot of I have days scheduled to learn or periods scheduled or maybe parts of days. Yeah. But often it's within still it's not a brand new thing, it's a new song on guitar. Maybe someone else's song on guitar. Like a lot of I hear and I have a a teacher, I say, I want to learn this song, you know. And like he we learned like this we did like a funky rendition of Black Beatles. So can you, I'm, can you play? I'm still practicing it, you know. I play it. We do it part two in okay. like six months. I'll have that learned. So I like you, Blake, you block out time just for fun and just to like go explore things like that. Yeah, I, I like you. I like learning stuff. But a lot of times it's not a new language. It's a new song on guitar. It's a new. So you're going deeper on your. Yeah, going deeper in that length. You know, sometimes I think I want it'd be cool to learn Sanskrit. Or it'd be cool to learn French. But then sometimes I go to China and I realize like I can play a song and people smile. And so I can't order a cup of coffee, but I can communicate in some way with pretty much everyone. I never thought about that. In the world. And that's very cool. It's a very so like I yeah, I do like to I'm still enjoying going deeper into that. Yeah. I think that's something I've been really exploring the past year, which is like wider versus like I guess wider versus deeper or like novelty chasing, like I want the next thing. I want the more fame. I want the next thing versus kind of like, all right, let me go deeper in a relationship. Let me go deeper in my knowledge. Let me go deeper in like health, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something I'm still trying to figure out where those, that, that balance is. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I was wondering, and I've wondered this for the past 20 years, give or take. And I always think about this with artists because sometimes I'm like, there's so many appealing things, right? Like that person's got fame and they've got attention. They got these things. But the thing I was wondering too is like, isn't it kind of annoying doing the same song every day? Like, I'm like, because I'm like, I have to go on stage and they just want me to play the same fucking song, right? <laughs> and like, I'm just curious, like, what's that like? Because it's like, you're on tour and literally every day, for me as a fan, it's the first time I've heard it today. <laughs> yeah. But for you now, you've written it and written it and then just for years, you do this, like a song. Or, yeah, I don't know what it is. I've heard other artists say they get tired of playing certain songs. Do you, do you not? I don't get tired of playing certain song live, you know? So like... If you leave at 2.30, I'm not going to sit in the hotel room and play I Took a Pill and Ibiza. 
because I know it. Like, you know, I know how to play it. But, but playing it at a show, it doesn't get old for me. It doesn't, in a live Why scenario. Because each show is different, you know. Um, so, and, and like I, we kind of talked about earlier, I have pockets of each show that are, that are totally unplanned, right? Where my band doesn't even know what I'm going to do. Um, so, I feel, I will get tired of a whole set, right? If we keep a whole set um, for a whole tour and we don't change, I'll get tired of the set. But there's not, it's not. I don't, I don't get tired of playing like the hit song. Cause I just see how much joy it gives everyone in the crowd. And that's really, I don't know. I don't get, I've never gotten tired of that. Like just to, you play like the first note or sing the first line and see their face change or see them like immediately start filming with their phone. That feels good to me. It's cool. If anything, it makes me feel like, Oh, yeah, I wrote the hell out of this song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you ever forget the words? Sometimes I wonder, I'm like, how do you remember? Because, like, you have a lot of songs now. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm like, how do you remember all the words? Yeah, I forget the words every once in a while. <laughs> but um, that's one of the good things about coming from a hip-hop background, being a rap background. A lot of times I forget the word and I just make new ones up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Or if I, you know, I remember the first line. <laughs> I guess the audience, I mean, do they get... I've, I've, like, for, I've, like, been coming up on a second verse and realized I don't know the words to it. <laughs> and then I'll just say, I'll say, like, you know, I forgot the words to the second verse. And I know 20 words that rhyme with verse. <laughs> But I'm dope as fuck, so I can write new words. You know, and everyone's like, oh, you know, it becomes a moment, you know. Really so a lot good. of times the mistakes become the things that make that show special, you know. Yeah. That was great. Thank you. I was like, what a great song. <laughs> <laughs> Is that on the next album? <laughs> the, so coming back, to the, <laughs> coming back to the vision stuff, like you wanted to be like a, a, a big rapper at eight. Right? In 18, you had that moment where Sean got it, I guess. Is that what you were saying? He got signed. He got signed. So, he was like, which is like all we wanted then. That was like our goal. Yeah. Get signed. And then you get signed, you're like, okay. To Kanye. Like, yeah. But you're like, now what? So, I mean, for you at that moment, what happened, right? Like, where was the vision? Because like, you still went to Duke. I was at Duke and I would... Did you already... Were you in Duke at the time he got signed? Yeah. How come you didn't just not do college and just go full all out music? I don't know. I struggled with that at the time. Um, I went to I went to Duke. There, Sean worked with an, another group of producers named Right Tracks, who were really talented. And he did most of his music with them, and I would kind of sneak in a beat here and there. You know, I'm making like a hundred beats every year. I didn't know anyone else, so I would send them all to Sean. You know. Um, and the beat for Beautiful Don't Know is like an instrumental bed that a rapper raps on. Typically, rappers don't make the music that they rap on. Someone else does. That's the producer. And so that was the role I was. I would take on. I would, I would make these musical beds, and sometimes put choruses on them and send them to Sean. And he would sort of use like of the hundred I made every year, he'd use like two. You know, but I didn't know anyone else. 
And um, I remember freshman year, I was taking Calc 32. And I had taken Calc like AB in high school. And this was sort of like BC, but it was the college version. And I realized like a couple months into this class that all all my classmates had taken BC in high school and were basically redoing it just to get their like math credit out of the way. And I was on a curve against them. And uh, I remember I got got this test back that I'd studied, like I'd studied for any test and I got an F on it. In high school, I I had only gotten one B plus because I that got was the lowest. Yeah, because I, I got in a fight with the teacher. The rest were all A's, A minuses. I was like F, what? Broke my heart. And the same time, they called me and they were like, Hey, you know Kanye's he's signing right tracks too as producers, not just showing. And I was like, Fuck that! That should have been me. Like I shouldn't be here. I should have been home doing more music for Sean. And now they're getting signed and I'm not. And I'm failing math test. <laughs> um, and you got dumped. <laughs> and it was raining. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just kept, I don't know, I just kept, kind of kept making music a couple years. And at some point, I started singing my raps. And... Well, I for sure had a number of influences. I kind of stumbled upon this thing that was unmistakably my voice, my sound. And I hadn't really had that. I've been making music 12 years at that point. But it was all, it was, it was more derivative than it needed to be until then. What do you mean? Like it wasn't really you. It wasn't like the. Way it was wanted. like me, me, me trying to do a beat that sounded like Kanye, and then me trying to do a beat that sounded like Timbaland, sounded like Pharrell, um, and then finally, like the the um, proportions of of like the things that I was drawing from, whether they be Kanye or Outkast, mixed with like Paul Simon, whatever. The proportions of the, like, others. it finally became, like, a new thing that was worth listening to. You found your to. voice. Yeah, I found my voice. Dude, was there a track or beat or something? Yeah, it was cooler than me. It was cooler than me. The original one. And Big Sean was actually on the original version of Cooler Than Me. Yeah. I put this song, you know, I've been making music all this time and put this song out and, like, they're singing it like at parties at Duke and like my mom called me and she was like, I really like this song. Big Sean was like, I really like this song. So I was like, how do they like the same song? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and yeah, so I was like, oh, okay. Is that, when you put that out just in college, is that when you had the vision like, all right, I'm going to go after the music full time? I guess that's what I'm curious because, like, I've been thinking about vision a lot. Mm. And then, like, because it's, like, I, I want to get more clarity in the specific thing of where I want to go. Yeah. So I'm curious for other people, like, how that, how that went. Yeah, at that time, I thought, Sean got a record deal. Like, I'm going to get a record deal now. I hadn't really planned past that. And I remember actually thinking that record deal would, would like, solve all my problems. That's that I, I remember thinking I'd be a nicer person 
when I got a record deal because I had I would have accomplished what I wanted and I wouldn't want anything else, which is false. <laughs> this was false. You're not nicer. <laughs> uh, I would like to say I would like to think I'm nicer than I was six years ago. I think I am, but not because of the record deal at all. Maybe despite of the record deal, yeah. you know, or in spite of the record deal. Yeah. So you got it in college, or you got it right afterwards? The yeah. So I put this put the song out cooler than me, and then I did what's called mixtape. Yeah. Uh, which is basically like a free album at the time. And it's sort of, that medium has sort of changed the last couple of years as our internet connections become faster and we can stream music without downloading it. But at the time, we couldn't. So you would download what you wanted to listen to onto your computer and then you download that onto an iPod maybe. Or maybe you'd just listen to it on your computer. Or maybe you'd burn a CD and listen to it in your car. Um, so there was this medium, and it still is, but it's just a little different now, called mixtape. And on a mixtape, it was a free album. You just put it out on the internet. And you uh, typically rappers, it was a hip-hop medium. To rappers would take other rappers' beats and make new songs on top of them. So it's basically like a remix. And I would do the same thing. And on my first mixtape, I remixed Beyonce's Halo. And I would, I'd make a new beat you know, out of, from scratch, and but I'd change her words up and just do my version of it. So my mixtape had six original songs. One of them was Cooler Than Me and with Sean, and then four remixes. And I just put it online, and I started a, a Facebook event and had my, I was in a fraternity at the time, and, uh, had my brothers just invite all of their friends. And I had this kind of like six step, six step system where you could, it just broke down how they could invite all of their friends. Like if they had a thousand friends. So you told them what to do? Yeah, and to, like step by step, like how do you, how you can invite all thousand of your friends to my thing. I like that you told them too. You're like, here's how I want you to invite them. Yeah, and they were my, yeah, they were my brothers. So they, they did it and they were very supportive. And I- As you were doing this, what, I wanna just quickly add, what was your ex expectation? Like when you put out this this mixtape and you got this event, did you think what were you thinking was gonna happen? I thought I was gonna get people were gonna know I was gonna get a record deal. Yeah, and that's that is what happened. And I had this other little loophole too, which was <laughs> which was at the time you would release your mixtape on a file sharing site. Usually usually Z Share was like the most popular one okay. right then. I think it's like now defunct. That, that piff or like... Yeah, and also dat piff. Um, but I knew that my music, it appealed to the dat piffers. Like it was sort of like, oh, if they were going to listen to something that wasn't hip hop, it was that. Because I would I would sing raps. Like, and it had complex rhymes with cool with me. You have designer shades to hide your face. Like, but I was singing it, right? So it's kind of like how I would want a rapper to sing. How I would want, as a rap fan, how I would want a singer to sing, rather. Um, but in addition to those, the Dat Piffers, I knew, like, the white girls at Duke would like my stuff. 
as well. And I knew they didn't know how to go to Z-Share and like right click and, <laughs> or like navigate. Cause these things were very like ad laden. So there was like. To which button to click, yeah. Yeah, it was confusing which button to click. <laughs> it's like and, my porn. Like, right. Oh, is it an so, ad? Yeah, there's this thing and it still exists now, but I think it's a little different. It was iTunes U, which is set up for professors to put their lectures up okay. on iTunes. But I noticed a couple people put like their music on there. So I found the guy that ran iTunes U at Duke. His name is Todd Stabley. Shout out Todd Stabley. Super <laughs> nice up, guy. And he's from Southfield, Michigan, which is where I'm from. And he was basically like, no problem. We'll put your album on iTunes U. And now what was important about having an iTunes U was that it was on iTunes, right? It's a very safe place, but it was also free. So at the time it was, it was like, it was still LimeWire time and like Kazaa time. So we were like at school, like I remember stealing Kanye's album. So I knew if I'm stealing Kanye's album, no one's going to pay for my album because they don't know who the <laughs> hell I am. Right? So now I'm on iTunes in this safe place, but it's free. So because it's through iTunes U, so you just click the button and said get. And it, was, it became the number one iTunes U thing. And that really helped. That really helped as well. Um, so at, so there was a link, you know, on the Facebook event to the iTunes free download on iTunes and my brothers um, invite all their friends. And then my friends from high school who are at different colleges invite all their friends. And I just sort of overnight seemingly had the this fan base at different colleges all over America. And I started getting booked to do shows. You know, so on, directly they hit you up or did you have it? Uh, at first, yeah, they'd, they'd hit up um, just my Facebook, you know. So I saw my personal Facebook open, you know, then they started going up to 4,000. I think they cut you off at like 5,000. But my Facebook, my personal Facebook to this day is like my friends and then my first 3,000 fans. So it's cool. I can write on my personal Facebook. I'm not talking to those people. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I started getting booked for shows. And I would go to class, you know, do a couple of shows on the weekends. And then I started getting offers from record labels. Do they just, like, mail you or call you or something like that? I'd be like, hey, we're not. No, they, we used to have MySpace at the time, too. So they, they'd message you on MySpace or, um, they get like, I think I have my email on, like, the thing, probably. And so you tried, you did midterms in the day and then... Tours at night, basically. Yeah, so what happened was, end of junior year, I put this thing out junior year. Uh, it was March 1st, 2008. Um, and then started to spread. Record labels started to take notice. I was flying, you know, to New York, taking meetings with all the record labels. You by yourself? I had an attorney. Okay. an attorney. That I that I went with, and then um, I got back finals week of uh, of junior year. It's a story I've told a million times, but it's kind of a cool story. Um, 
finals week of junior year. Then I hired a manager, like amidst taking these meetings. My manager. How did you find him? Like, how did you trust someone? I didn't really fully trust them because I, I didn't know them well. But I, but they had found me like a year before. So managers kind of like are good. They got really got their ear to the street, so to speak. And so I had been courted by this guy for maybe close to a year. And I finally hired him. He, he called me and was like, you have to go back to New York. I'm like, I can't go back to New York. I'm writing, I'm doing my, my finals, like writing those end of year papers. He's like, you got to go. Jay-Z wants to meet you. I'm like, one, I don't believe you. There's no way. Like, I'm going to go and it's going to be like Jay-Z's like associate. I don't believe you. And like, two, like, dude, I was just there. He's like, you just had to do it. It's like JY. It's like the other guy. <laughs> you don't so, <laughs> so I didn't tell like any of my friends. I didn't think it was really going to happen. But I went there and uh, I went into Jay-Z's office. He was sitting in there. I was super starstruck. I was like, whoa. But he was very good at disarming me and charming. And like, he could, I'm sure could tell. I was starstruck, but he knew how to undo that within like five minutes. I was cool. How so? I, I don't remember. I don't like remember blackout the, kind of. the particulars of like what he said, but I think it was just like, he knew how to make me feel comfortable. And like I plugged in my computer and played on that song Cooler Than Me. And he just started nodding his head really hard. He was like, like he really liked it. And he was like, yeah, he's like, it sounds like you have like you could make like a love below album, and uh, that was a reference I really liked. You know, I love that album, so a love below by Outkast. So it was like the right thing to say. And we, I, mean, I don't remember what we talked about. We talked for like two hours, a long time. And he, his, his, my manager was there, and his. Right hand man at the time, John Manili was there. And he's like, so what do we do now? And John Manili was like, I think we do a deal. And he's like, cool. Uh, so then I left. I went back to Duke and I'm like back in the library typing this paper. And I checked my email and there's a record deal offer from Rock Nation. And I'm like, fuck, how am I going to finish this paper now? <laughs> and that was... Uh, that was the only C I ever got. I ended up bringing my F in calc up to a to a B, but that the one I was typing the paper, I got a C in that that class. I don't know why. And it's Jay Z's fault. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one thing I was, I don't know why this is my question. It's like, does Jay Z use Hotmail? Does he use Yahoo? Jay Z. Oh. It wasn't from him. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, but uh, I think I actually have come across Jay-Z's email, like someone CC in. It's an at like, I don't want to say, but it's, yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know how you, your email is probably like at Noah Kagan. So yeah, you have your own site. Yeah. It's at like, he's his, got his own stuff, his own thing. Yeah. Right. Not a Gmail. <laughs> I mean, so your vision at that point, you're like, yo, I've got it. I'm going to be a nicer person. And my vision is to be this famous musician. Right. Or not right. But is that no at that time i was like totally overwhelmed and swept up by being popular for the first time in my life Where, what were you like I, in high school were you popular in high school 
No, I wasn't, I wasn't an outcast, but I've, similar to how I am now, I'm sort of, I can have a lot of fun alone to this day. Um, so I don't hang out as much as I think most people do, but I'm, I'm friends, friendly with a lot of different groups. I have a lot of friends in quantity. That's like wide, shallow type thing. Uh, so I was very wide in high school. I was friends with everybody, but I wasn't like in anyone's like group, really. I was friends with the black kids, friends with the Jewish kids. But I wasn't like, yeah, I wasn't like in any, I wasn't in any of the groups, really. And that's kind of still true. Um, but as, as my music started to become popular for the first time, I was like the, I felt like the hot girl all of a sudden. And that was like, it was a lot for me. It was a lot for me. It still is at times, you know, but um, more used to it now, I guess. What were the beginnings like? It was just over, like the, like uh, just the amount of like phone call, email just went like exponentially higher. Right. And there's also that funny time where you know, you finish high school and every year more and more friends kind of drop out of your life. Yeah. And then, like, I don't know about you, but I have, like, probably six to ten friends in high school that are, like, yeah, my best friends I still talk to. Same thing true of college. Well, I was in college at the time and three years out of high school. And so a lot of those people hadn't fully dropped off yet. They're, like, fringe people. And so it's still maybe appropriate for them to call me. So imagine all of them call you at once. And like, well, they're just excited because they're hearing your song here and there. All of them texting you all at once. It's just like a lot. You know, it's like a lot. I feel like a lot to manage. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, you're like trying to manage being a student at Duke University where you're on a curve with really smart people. Yeah. And also manage your actual music career, you know, and stuff. Did you move out to LA? Did you graduate and then moved? Or you dropped yeah, out? Yeah, graduated. Hans, you got the deal in junior year and you still finished? I graduated, got the deal summer after my junior year. It wasn't with Jay-Z, ended up signing with a different label. Why is that? Um, honestly, because Sean at the time had now been signed to Kanye like f three, four years. But nothing had really happened yet. And so I was hesitant to sign to another artist. I wanted to sign to a record label. You think they wouldn't produce, they'd pr promote you more or help you a better chance to get I thought that at the time, but it's, it's, I don't think, I don't really think that's true anymore. It's just what I thought at the time. Given, <clears throat> um, now I think if you, if you, either one, you're going to have to do it yourself. You have to get it started yourself. That's such a good point. And then, if you're assigned to a big artist, once you do get it started, they'll maybe like do a song with you. And that's like adding fuel to the fire. So I actually think like maybe signed to artists is better in a lot of ways now. But at the time, like Sean wasn't, hadn't blown up yet, you know, so I couldn't see that part yet. Um, and yeah, and I went back to school for another semester. And how do you I, go back to how do you stay, do that? Like I'm still really. Amazed. My mom made me. Okay, she made me. So like my mother, 
my mother's like her parents didn't help her they didn't have the money to help her you know she's like detroit hard rock woman like worked full-time jobs put herself through school put herself through pharmacy school to the point where like my sister and i we got to go to these crazy private expensive private schools and here i am three years done and talking about i'm gonna quit and she's like no you're not you know put that in the context like how hard so it's like out of respect for her and i could tell the way she said it if i quit it was gonna be like it was gonna be a major thing major thing between me and her what'd your dad say my dad i think had a little more privileged upbringing so it wasn't the same same kind of uh weight that he had on education value on education you know like i think all of us probably take it took it for granted more than she did you know so we probably take a lot of things for granted yeah <laughs> totally. a lot of, i was like oh like we're sitting in a hotel right now in an air-conditioned room yeah control the weather within this room yeah. I, that happened to me on monday i was feeling depressed not de- and depressed doesn't sound so serious it was i was feeling sad for myself and then like i was like it's and then I look through my window, this window, the view of the lake, and I was like, "It's a gorgeous view. It's a gorgeous day. You're healthy. Like everything is great, and you're being a little bitch." And I was just like, "It was it like struck me in that moment." Like, mm-hmm. um, I was like, "Things are like you're sad about this, but like everything is great." And it just helps me like it helped me reflect on that and just really like like dude, things aren't that bad. Yeah. Or they could. I mean, maybe it could be a lot worse, but I was just like, "No, things are actually great. Like look outside and just be okay with that." I thought about that. Earlier this year, my father passed away. And people always ask, like, are you okay? I was just, and I just think, I have so many friends that never knew their dads or had dads that were kind of in their lives, not really. So how can I complain about, how can I feel sad right now because I had a great dad for 29 years? I'm supposed, to compl- I'm supposed to feel bad because I had him 29 and not 32. That makes no sense to me. It's almost like disrespectful to my friends who didn't have a dad to feel sad right now. You Really? I, yeah, I mean, just because I, I felt grateful. The, you know after what I mean? you changed how you looked at it. Yeah, I felt grateful. You got 29 years with them. Yeah, like it's like the, I was talking about this with my buddy, like the, the monkey experiment where they give. Group A, the monkeys, a banana. And they give group B two bananas and take one away. Well, each of them have one banana, but group B's fucking pissed, right? But then I realized, okay, in my situation, there's also group C that never got a banana, right? If we're talking about fathers. And also, I'm not a fucking monkey, right? So, like, I can be in group B and realize I have a banana. Even though I lost one. I still have one and there's, there's group C, they have none, right? And group A, they still have, they have one also. Like, so like I, I, I'm a human and I have the capacity to deal with loss. I, I believe in a way that's, that doesn't involve depression, right? I hope. Uh, what do you text? Like, what do you text when you text other celebrities like Drake? Like, I'm not saying you know Drake, but do you text him like, "Yo, what are you doing for Shabbat?" Like, do you guys just text like me and you text like? 
Well, it depends, right? There's some, there's like, remember how we texted at first? It's kind of like this cursory, like we're talking about what we're doing. So there's different levels. Like with, you know, my, there's some celebrities they become like actual friends with. So you text them like you text your friend. Yeah. And then there's sometimes, there's others that you're like kind of friends with that you just met or you did some shows with. And usually they're texting you, you're texting them because you want something, you know, to be totally honest. You know, maybe they want you on a song, you want them on a song. So I like nowadays, I used to do, you know, like you you call someone and then like you call them again the next day and ask them for something. Like I try not to do that. I try, if I want something, I'll just say, hey, this is like, or I'll call them and be like, I'm not going to pretend like this is a yeah. how you doing call. Like I want some from you and it's this. Um, All right. And I just feel better about that. Yeah, being like, sure I like my, that. In my heart. Yeah. Uh, who's the last person you met that you got nervous around? I was really excited to meet. Um, I wasn't nervous, but I was excited to meet Alan Stone. Um, actually, the last person was Tim Ferriss, bro, yesterday. Oh, really? On the, on the camera? On the video chat. Yeah. I love Tim Ferriss. Huh, that's awesome. I've had different, like, I've emailed and stuff with him before. But I was excited to meet him. That was just totally coincidental because we met through that show. All right, I normally got yesterday. Time. Noah, for your listeners, was FaceTiming me, and then he was sitting next to Tim Ferriss. I was like, "Yo, Tim <laughs> Ferriss, <laughs> what up, dog?" That's literally what happened. All right, uh, I'm. A, this is a long ass question. Maybe you could give the short answer. But like, who gives you financial advice? Right? I'm always like, you always hear these rappers or artists losing everything mm-hmm. or sports players like. Like, how do you make money? I was curious how you make money, which is a whole other episode, right? Because I'm just, what, is it just like a billion views? You get a billion dollars? I wish, bro. I like, wish. Who, maybe this the short answer is like, who gives you financial advice? Like, where do you go to make sure you, you like protect your future? And, and yeah, there's a, there's a couple of people. One, one really beneficial thing that, that helped me was I read Tony Robbins' book, Money Master the Game. Yeah. I listened to it, audiobook actually. And, um, after that, I hired this fiduciary named Mark Campbell, who's in Santa Monica, and uh, he's incredible. We just, I was just like, well, I want to, I want to retire now. Can I? Do I have enough money to last the rest of my life? Mm. I didn't know. Like, what if I get stabbed in the throat? Like, I want to work. I want to work now. If I feel like working, I don't want to have to work ever. Like basically, I want to retire right now. Tell me what that looks like. So we crunched the numbers. He's like, hey, man, you can live on this budget till you're 110, basically. Now that budget's much less than what I actually live on. But that knowledge gives me the power in my head to say no to everything I don't want to do. Right. So Mark's great. I also have a business manager, uh, Mark Asire and Matt Malice. They have a company called Starbiz. And basically, they're like, they do, like, they pay my taxes, like, they pay my bills or I'm on the road, you know, like, if it, if it let, like, my mail goes to them, because I'll be on tour, you know, sometimes for six months, you know, like, if someone sends me a bill or something, like, I'm not going to get it. So everything goes to them. And, you know, so they take care of that kind of, kind of stuff. I really respect how you call shout outs on these people. This, this, you've done it the whole time. It's really interesting. It's amazing because you're just like, I think you have a great attitude. To me, I respect that. It is a team. 
And you be, uh, I just had someone, um, a friend of mine, with regards to my book, write me an email because I think they felt like they hadn't been shouted out. They hadn't been shouted out. Or maybe I'd like shout it out. Shout them out now. I'd shout it out. No. Cause then, <laughs> no, I would. But now that I've said what I just said, I, I wouldn't do it. But yeah. I think I shouted out like someone else that helped with the book and forgot. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a it's slippery slope with the shout outs. It's kind of like shout out everyone. <laughs> right. Two final last question. The, where do you want to be at 50? I just thought, because sometimes it's like when you're a basketball player, mm. you can't play basketball forever. I don't know, musicians, you can't make music forever. I guess I was curious, where, where's Mike at 50? Or where do you think that'll be? I mean, that might, that'll probably change. Yeah, I honestly don't know. I don't know if I'll be alive. And I, last thing I was just, it's just like, what, you, you it's been, all, I feel a little presumptuous. To think you'll live till 50? Yeah. yeah. I used to say I wouldn't live till 30. And then I just started saying, well, that's just the story I've been telling myself. So I used to literally, when people right. like, how long you live? I'm like, I never thought I'd make it this far. Right? I didn't grow up in a tough neighborhood. I just didn't know what life was going to be like. And then only when I started thinking like, hey, I could live till 200. <laughs> it's only that we've told ourselves that we're only going to live to 200 that we're like limiting ourselves around that. I believe that. So I've just been starting to say I'm not going to die. Not in an arrogant way. Not even that I'm better. I'm just saying, but like, I think if I put it out there, someone's going to solve that shit. Yeah, they are. Yeah. The, uh, I want to buy, I'm going to buy your book. Who should be buying it for the poetry book? Poetry book you could get on Amazon. No, but like, who should we buy? It? Like, I'm gonna go buy it for people. Like, who do you want? Oh, four? Yeah, I'm gonna go buy it as gifts for people. Like, should I send it to my? Is it like my mom? You think someone like that? No, 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 no. It's much <laughs> more Bukowski and. What does that mean? Bukowski is one of my favorite poets. He'll he'll write a poem like this. Isn't a Bukowski poem, but I'll say shit like, you know. I drove to the racetrack today and some asshole cut me off. I decided right then I was going to beat the fuck out of him. I got out of the car and went up to him and said, hey, asshole, get out of the car. He motioned to his girlfriend. She opened the glove compartment and they took a gun out. I, locked, I walked away slowly. Like That's a Bukowski-esque poem, you know? <laughs> some of the stuff is like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, probably not my mom, but I'll give it to people that would like that. Yeah. I, t- I would say I'm very, like... Um, people who have a, a sense of curiosity about what what we've talked about today, like what one an entertainer's life actually is like, what the feelings are, and then someone yeah who's not afraid of when she, like some real ass shit, some okay. real ass writing. Yeah, awesome. Like one of my poems is called Bruno Mars. It's short. Because I wrote a song of Bruno Mars once. He's way better than me at music. He's way better than me at everything. That used to bother me. Then I realized he's way better than you too. Bruno Mars. <laughs> he's a kind of poem. But it's a very... I like um, that. I'll show you. It's like a very illustrated book. Yeah. And um, for your listeners, they're listening to a podcast. The, um, the audio book is really cool because... Um, because I make music, I was able to have these really cool sonic landscapes go throughout the whole thing. I had a lot of fun making it. Yeah. Um, so as I read, like it's just different stuff going on. Um, it's a love. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I gotta go. Not like music, like songs, but just like beds. That was awesome. And that's not out yet, but it'll be out soon. <laughs> 
that episode was awesome. I really appreciate Mike. Go buy his poetry book, Teardrops and Balloons. You know what I realized about the end of episodes? None of y'all make it this far. But if you did, just go text someone you love them. I appreciate it and enjoy an amazing day. Later. <laughs>